don't have our traumatic memories from growing up. One, in, one of mine involved a red pencil. I was probably in kindergarten or first grade. I don't remember one of those two. And my mom always visited this older lady in town, Auntie Coppets. She lived by herself in this old house that was never opened up, full of knickknacks, and it had that smell. You know, you walked in that house and it was just that smell of that old house. And I got drug along to go visit Auntie Coppets. And she had a sort of a four-season little sun porch out in the front. And I'd go out there and sit and play. There was a little desk just to kill time till we could leave. Well, one day I was out there at that desk, and I noticed that she had a pencil with red lead in it. Now, I know I'm old and from the farm, but that was novel to me. I had only seen pencils with black lead. And you even could write on the paper, and it wrote red. And I thought that was really cool. So not even intentionally thinking of what was, I was doing, I put it in my pocket and took it home. And so, sort of in ignorance, probably the next day, I got out my new red pencil, and I was drawing with it. And my, my mom saw it. And she said, Jim, where'd you get that red pencil? And I, of course, immediately went into panic mode. And it all came out that I had stolen that red pencil from Auntie Coppets. And I tried the typical approach of, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, and all those lines which, with my mom, didn't carry any water. And we are in the car. And we're living out in the country, and it's in town to Auntie Coppets' house, and I have to walk by myself up and ring the doorbell. And, of course, she's old, and it takes her forever to get to the door, so I'm just sitting there, just, oh. She comes to the door, and I have to say, here's your red pencil. I stole it. I'm sorry. And I did that. I don't even remember to this day what she said. I was so terrified in that whole experience. And we turned around and went home. At the time, I didn't understand it. Now, as a parent, I do. My mom understood something. Her teaching, her talking about why we don't steal things wasn't getting through to me, apparently. And I needed to experience something more, some consequences, something real, tangible, so that that lesson would really soak in. And I... I think it did pretty well. I have a whole list of temptations, but stealing stuff is not one of them. It was sort of planted deep inside. Well, Judah was in the same spot. In a sense, they had a lesson they had to learn. And God had for multiple hundreds of years been trying to teach them that lesson by talking to them. The problem was they weren't learning it. Now, by chapter 17 of the story, where we're at, Judah as a nation is basically all alone. Israel had been 12 tribes. All the northern tribes, basically, other than Judah, had formed one nation. 
And they'd already been carried off into captivity. We saw that last week in chapter 16. Assyria had taken care of them, and those tribes, for all practical purposes, vanished to this very day. And that left Judah and and their capital, Jerusalem, as a very small nation, the only nation that worshipped Jehovah, surrounded by all these superpowers. They were much more powerful. They had all their different gods, and Judah was alone. The only thing they had to save them was Jehovah God. The problem was that Judah decided that they would abandon God, the one thing they had going for them. And that they would be like everybody else and worship all these other idols because that's what everybody did. It was the thing to do. It's become a cliche, but having lots of idols was the politically correct thing to do. And Judah wanted to fit in. We saw that a hundred years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had warned them, don't do this. Don't do this, but they didn't listen. And they went right ahead, and they did. And so in their time, another prophet God had sent was named Jeremiah, and he warned them that they were on the wrong path, and there were bad things going to happen. Turn over with me to Jeremiah, 29, to Jeremiah 2. Verse, we'll start with verse 26. This is sort of like when you're caught with the red pencil in your hand, drawing with it. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, all of them. They say to the wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. That's a reference to the idols they've made. Objects just... They made themselves out of wood and stone, and yet they then bow down to these objects they created and treat them like they're the God who made them. God continues, they have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us, God. Then he says to them, where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come. If they can save you when you're in trouble... For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. God basically says, if you want those idols, you got them. If you think they're in charge, if you think they created you, if you think they can take care of you, have at it. That's who you've chosen. That's who you can have. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he sees this happening and the people won't listen. And they're his people. It's his nation. And it breaks his heart as he watches them make wrong choice after wrong choice and turn away from God because he knows what's going to happen. He just knows this is going to be the outcome and it's not going to be good. But they won't listen. There's a lesson about God in all this I don't want you to miss out on and that is that God allows Judah to walk away. I think sometimes we get an image that God forces us, God God sort of traps us. That's not how God is. God is a loving God who wants a relationship with us, and he knows that you can't force a relationship. I can't lock you up, I can't handcuff you to you, to me, and then say, now let's have a relationship. 
We all know relationships don't work that way. We have to want a relationship. And that's exactly what God understands. And so when Judah says, we're going to walk away, he says, okay. It may break my heart. I may want you as my children in a relationship with me more than anything. But if you walk away, I won't lock you up with me. And of course, the result of all that is that Judah is truly alone. Because those rocks and pieces of wood that they made into idols can't help them. Because they're inanimate objects with absolutely no power. And so the reality is Judah is also defeated. Just like Israel had been the other tribes over a hundred years earlier, now Judah is defeated. There's a new superpower in the world by this time. Israel had been carried off by Assyria and now the new superpower in the world is Babylon. And Babylon comes and destroys Judah, destroys Jerusalem, even destroys the temple of God. Everything that they had said, sort of, we can count on this. If if we have this, we're safe. None of that worked because they'd walked away from God. And the nation was destroyed. Turn over to 2 Kings with me. We'll read about this in verse 21, chapter 21. The Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Stop there for a second. Isn't that an interesting little phrase in the Bible? I was thinking about that. You know when you watch the news and maybe it's these icy streets where you've seen in that car's heading, you know what's going to happen. You're just like, oh, I can't watch. Or now with our video quality in sports, you see the athlete whose knee pops out and it's right there. And then, of course, they rerun it a hundred times. But once you've seen that knee pop out, it's like, I, I, I just can't watch that anymore. That's sort of the idea here. The rest of the world is going to watch Judah self-destruct. And it's like, oh, this is going to be ugly. Their ears tingled. God continues. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. The same measuring standards that had been used for the northern ten tribes and caused them to be destroyed. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down to dry. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their enemies. And that's what happens to Judah. Because they wouldn't learn that lesson. I want to talk about that lesson for a little bit today. It's an important lesson we need to hear. And that lesson is simply this sin has a cost. We make decisions every day, we still do today, and those decisions carry consequences. 
It's a lesson we don't like to talk about. This isn't a feel-good lesson. It's not pleasant. And the truth is we don't like to think about it very much. We like to focus on God's love, don't we? That, that feels good. And to sing of amazing grace and this forgiving, loving God, which are all true statements. And we will see those in the weeks ahead as God works to help these people who have sinned and disobeyed Him and been destroyed. But I don't want to go there too quickly. I want us, in a sense, to pause in Jerusalem. The city of God, the capital of God's nation. Because I want us to sit in Jerusalem for a little bit so we don't miss the lesson. We need to look around at the destruction. Jerusalem resisted and Babylon laid siege for almost two years. And when they finally took the city of Jerusalem, they destroyed it. Thousands upon thousands of people were killed. Bodies would have been laying in the streets. Everything was put on fire. The walls were torn down. The temple walls were torn down. Everything of value was looted and carted off. Anyone left alive was put in chains. Their future was over. It was a terrible place. We, don't, we wouldn't want to look at it. We would say, let's, let's go on. But we need to see that. And we need to understand this isn't something that we say, God caused this. Because the truth is, no, Israel caused this. By their choice to walk away from God. Their choice to say, I want to do my thing. And that's the lesson I want us to capture today. That sin carries a cost. That what God says to us matters. When he says, don't do this, it matters. And when he says, you should do this, it matters. But when we pay attention to God, it matters. And when we don't pay attention to Him, when we walk away from Him, it has an impact on our lives. When we choose to say, I want to call the shots in my life. I want to decide what's right for me. We can do that. God doesn't keep us from doing that. Just like Judah could do that. But when we decide that, we need to also see that that will have an impact on our future. What I want us to do today is learn from Israel's mistake. To pause and see the destruction of Jerusalem so that it sinks in for us. Because if we don't, then we may have to make those same mistakes again. Better that we learn the lesson. And that lesson is that sin matters. In each of our lives, in our nation, anywhere in the world where humans are, sin matters. And that ignoring God is something we do that brings a cost. What God says is important. I want us to read one more passage from Jeremiah. Again in chapter 2. This is, again, one of these amazing passages I think a lot of times people don't realize are in Scripture. 
God is sort of speaking to the universe. And he's saying, can you believe this? Can you believe what these children of mine have done? Starting with with verse 10. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. Kedar, I looked up, is way down in Saudi Arabia. Cyprus was out in the Mediterranean. He's basically saying, go to the west and go to the east. Look anywhere you want in our known world. Have you ever seen anything like this? See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Not that they're gods at all. But my people, Jehovah speaking, my own people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. That the whole universe stands in shock that a people would be so foolish because they walked away from their God. I say that sin matters. I want us to look at three consequences of walking away from God, of doing our own thing, of calling the shots in our own lives and disregarding what God says, a relationship with Him. The first consequence is that it alienates us from God. We, by virtue of us walking away from Him, disobeying Him, it causes us to live life without Him. Because sin, it causes a gulf. It, it, it splits a relationship. It enters tension. And that's no different than any of us in our relationships. It happens all the time, doesn't it? We do something wrong. We know we've offended somebody else. And the next time we're together, what do we say? Well, you could cut the silence with a knife. They won't make eye contact. Because there's now something between us. That relationship has been affected, sometimes totally cut off when people just walk away from God totally. Other times our sin just drives a wedge between us and God. But that has, a, has an impact, has a consequence. Now I, I don't have God's counsel, His advice, His wisdom. To talk with him about what's going on in life. I I don't have that. His love and assurance. His his reassurance that I'm his child and, and I have worth. Whatever the world is saying about me. I lose that assurance, that love. I lose his help. Because just like Judah, I said, I don't need you. I'm doing this on my own. And he says, okay, how's it going? Without my help. We lose that. That's all part of that consequence. But there's a second consequence. And that's not between me and God. It's it's inside me. There are consequences for me when I try and live life without God. The truth is I suffer. I understand we walk that way because we think it's going to be better. When I can call the shots, I, I, I get a, get out from under God. But the truth is, I'm not better. I'm worse. Because part of the reality is that inside every one of us is good and evil. That's just how we're made. It's part of growing up in this broken, sinful world. So there's good and bad in all of us, and it doesn't go away when we become a Christian. Paul talks about how he still wrestles with seeing the good and bad inside himself. 
But what happens is that when I'm with God and he's walking with me, I'm walking with him, he helps me. He helps that good to be stronger and that evil to be more contained. But when I walk away from him, then I'm alone in trying to help that good be strong and that evil so easily grows in us. And we end up doing and saying and thinking and becoming the very person we don't want to be because we're on our own. And I don't even need the rest of the world's help. I got plenty of junk inside to think about, say, do, feel, attitudes. And without God's help, they just seem to grow and get stronger. And there's a very real consequence inside ourselves. And we wake up and see ourselves doing things and saying things, and we step back and say, who is that? I don't even know that person. And yet we do know who it is. It's ourselves. The third consequence is that all those around us suffer as well. When we walk away from God, there's consequences for our family, our friends, our co-workers, even strangers we meet. How we see them, how we treat them, what we say to them, what we don't say to them. Relationships that are meant to bless us and enrich us become sources of pain because of sin. Relationships that are supposed to make us become and grow and flourish end up scarring us for life because of sin. Work that is meant to be fulfilling and a joy controls us or becomes meaningless. Pleasure that God intended for us to enjoy and have fun with. Pleasure becomes addictions and destructive. And they ruin us. Because sin affects everything around us and not just ourselves. And that's a reality we need to see. Because if we don't see that, then we wake up like Israel one day and say, how in the world did this happen? Our city is destroyed, our temple is destroyed, and we are being carted off into captivity. And half the people I know have just been murdered. Today our tendency when bad things happen like that is we want to blame somebody, don't we? We want to blame other people. We want to blame institutions. We even want to blame God. But the reality is, so often, what is happening is because of some choices we made that we walked away from God. We sinned. And it's not a pretty picture. One of the other prophets that was speaking to Judah during this whole time when the nation was crashing was the prophet Ezekiel. And God gives him a vision at the end of Ezekiel that I want us to read. The first two verses of Ezekiel 37, and we're going to come back and read a little more. But Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, And set me in the middle of a valley. And that valley was full of dry bones. 
He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Like a valley where hundreds of years ago a huge battle had taken place and now all the skeletons are just laying there in pieces. This valley of dry bones. He says they were so thick, I picture when Ezekiel's walking, he hears some of those bones crunch under his feet. A place of desolation. It's not a pleasant picture. But before we look away too quickly or we look for the solution Please understand there's a message in that picture. And that is the reality of sin and what it brings. What scares me is that it's a picture of our world, isn't it? As our world increasingly doesn't seek God and seeks other gods, we see dry bones everywhere. And sometimes it's a picture of our own lives because of what we've done. Now, I understand, and I I need to sort of digress here for a minute. I, I fully understand there are times when our lives look like a valley of dry bones. And we honestly say it's not because of what I did. It's not because of my sin. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes we're in denial because we don't want to face it. But sometimes it's true. Because sometimes it's because we're a part, we were talked about this in Sunday school, we're a part of this nation or we're a part of this tribe or this city or this family. And there has been sin somewhere and I'm a part of it and it gets me drug into it too. And that's a reality. And I fully acknowledge that. We have in the story of chapter 17, Jeremiah, who was a righteous prophet, but because of the nation's sin, he gets drug away into captivity too and suffers with the nation. That is a reality. Please hear that. But it doesn't remove that issue that sin causes dry bones. Is there hope? Yeah, there is. And I would never leave without that hope. But I wanted us to spend time understanding and seeing the reality of the cost of sin. That we take it seriously in our own lives and not just in the life of Judah. Can this be avoided? Yes. It could have been avoided by Judah. God still loves us, even if our lives have become that valley of dry bones. He can still help us. And that's the rest of that passage in Ezekiel 37. I just put it on the screen. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. I'd love to see Hollywood do this now. The rattling of those dry bones starting to move. And the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. Breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. 
that lived again. And that is the message of hope we have from God. How are you living your life today? What does your life resemble? Are you off on your own trying to live it without God? Are there places you know you're just disregarding His directions and advice, His law? Have you created your own valley of dry bones? It it doesn't have to be that way. We can come back to God. For it's in Him that life starts to work. His love, His grace, His forgiveness, His desire to rebuild the driest life. To put flesh and bones back on that and bring breath again. He delights in that. And He delights in doing that in any life. But we have a choice to make. To come to that God, that Jesus who died for us, and to say, I'm done living on my own. I'm done trying to make my own rules. I need to listen to you. I want to come home. And he says, I am delighted to see you back. Kim is going to come and sing for a little bit. I want you to listen to the words she's going to sing. Because they're really words of a commitment to say, God, I want you at the center of my life. And I'd like us each to have a little time to think about that and where we are with God in our own walk. Whether we're walking with Him, or maybe we've drifted far away and we need to come back to Him. Would you listen and maybe spend some time with God as Kim sings?